Hello, welcome to the Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Thursday evening. Joining me from New York City was at the Philadelphia 76ers 106-103 victory over the Boston Celtics on Wednesday night. One of the key early season games in the Eastern Conference is Mr. Eastern Conference, Tim Bonteps. I feel like that game on Wednesday night was full of chaos energy all the way through from start to finish. And just in the preamble to this pod, I think we got a lot of chaos energy for this pod. So I think I think it's going to be pretty good. Speaking of Mr. Chaos Energy from Dallas, Texas, where he oversaw the Mavericks finally losing a game on Wednesday he night to the Toronto Raptors. Was he in charge? He oversaw. He was there watching it in front of him. He oversaw it. Hmm. It happened in front of him. So their second loss to see. Or watched, maybe. Yeah. Their first loss in a while. I think I sort of stumbled through that. And uh, I know you're you're getting ready to see those red-hot L.A. Mm. Clippers on Friday night. Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. Hey, do want to give a shout-out to the Hartwick Hawks, the D3 program up in Bon Tim's country, Oneonta, New York. You know, I, boys, on the podcast this summer, I sent out a uh, request for free gear. The Hawks replied, sent me a nice, comfy, this good material T-shirt. Season got off to a tough start the other night, but I've got faith in Terrell Cumberbatch and the boys. I cannot believe <laughs> you are soliciting materials like this and the people are sending it. DMs are open. <laughs> Only for free gear. <laughs> <laughs> the manufacturer's suggested retail price of that shirt, Bon Temps, has got to be like, Thirteen ninety nine or something. Oh, hey, listen, no, this don't. Much, nuh-uh. This is a good one, baby. It's, it's that. It's that stretchy stuff. It feels feels good. Mm, yeah, no, right, this ain't no thirteen ninety nine, baby. No need. Right, no need for any shots at Hartwick College. We appreciate them being fans of the pod. Um, Joel Embiid had another spectacular game. Um, I I feel like we're headed for another uh, Embiid um, Joker showdown, considering that the. <clears throat> Nuggets have played nine games, uh, and Jokic has nine 2010 games, not averaging 20. Well, he's also averaging 20 and 10, but nine games where he's gone 20 and 10. But Embiid with another strong performance, and the Sixers in a they could play each other what they could play each other 11 times this year, uh, as many as 11 times. I think they played against each other 11 times last year, Bon Temps. Uh, could they be could more. play. They could. They could play twelve. Could ma- could match up oh. in the in season tournament. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Is absolutely correct. Yes. Come on, Aaron. My in my uh, com- in my uh, commentary. Yes, it could be the first of twelve matchups, breaking last season's record of eleven matchups that they had when they won seven games in the conference semifinals. Bontemps, Boston has lost two games in a row, but. Um, it didn't seem like they were too stressed about this game. What did we learn about the 76ers in that big win over the Celtics on Wednesday night? Yeah, I mean, Derek White showed up three hours before the game. He hadn't been around the team for four or five days. He just had a second kid. Um, you know, they, they're trying to get everybody up to speed still. Drew Holiday and Chris S. Porzingis are obviously very new to the program and what those guys are doing. They played a C-plus game. They had a terrible second quarter where they gave up 39 points and the rest of them, they held the Sixers, I think, 80. So they, I think they're going to be just fine, and they look awfully good. To me, the real story the first couple of weeks of the season is that Philadelphia is going to be a really good team, and I think has a chance to be 
in the top two spots in the Eastern Conference at the end of the regular season. Because as long as Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey are on the court, they've got an elite one-two combo, even without James Harden. This team is playing way faster than they were last year. I think they're up to 10th or 11th in pace. They've got nine or 10 guys that they're playing off the bench now. Um, they've got Nick Batum and Robert Covington playing real minutes off the bench. Nick Batum, I think, is a sneaky addition in that trade for the Sixers. They've got a lot of, you know, I mentioned before about the chaos energy. Nick Batum is a really smart, high IQ guy. He's a guy that can have out there late in games to settle things down a little bit, can do a lot of stuff from a versatility standpoint. So, and Kelly Oubre's, Kelly Oubre's are playing probably the best he's ever played in his career. And Tobias Harris, as I think we talked about earlier on in the season, looks completely reinvigorated, not having to just stand in the corner and guard people and hit an occasional spot-up jumper. So, you know, Philly looks really, really good. Joel Embiid seems very happy. Tyrese Maxey looks like he's going to yeah. be an all-star. Real and quick, after the, the game last... be fun to watch. After the game, I don't have the exact quotes in front of me. I wish I was more prepared. Embiid was like, our culture is great. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the locker room. What did he say? Um, it, it sounded like he was maybe saying something without saying it. I believe you said no one has any egos here or some variation of that. So and he it, said something about it, our culture is great. An unsaid parenthesis was other than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, the, the combination of Maxi and Bede, I think is perfect from an on the court and off the court standpoint here. You've got, Jackson's got the quote here. No one has an ego on this team. We got new guys, took them in, got them up to speed. Guys want to play with each other. They want to be around each other. I think it helps a lot. And I can say, for having been around this team a literally lot. Want to phys- the- literally want to be around. Some guys don't even want to be around. Well, that, that was certainly true. But being around this team a lot the past few weeks, the vibes are very good. Like, they they are feeling really good. They're playing a fun style. They've got everybody bought in. Maxi has taken a big leap, looks like an all-star. And I think both, like, obviously on the court, the pick and roll with him and Joel Embiid has been really, really good. But off the court, I also think they are a perfect match because Joel, he is a dominant player, and he's also not a guy that's necessarily going to be a rah-rah, have the guys follow behind me kind of guy. Whereas Tyrese is a magnetic personality. He's the center of attention, not in a negative way, but it's just sort of how he is. Everybody sort of gravitates towards him. And he's also going to always be deferential to the big fella. And it's always going to be the big fella's team. And it's really, the mix of that, I think, is really good. And obviously, this team's ceiling isn't that high in terms of like true championship equity. They need to add a piece or two to really be, I think, up there with teams like Denver and Boston at the end of the day. But this team's going to win a ton of regular season games. And as long as those two guys are out there, they're going to be a really, really tough team to play on a nightly basis. Listen, Maxie's a Texas guy. You know, Texas folks are we're known for our magnetic personalities. And so that that's no surprise. It's he is one of the best stories of the early part of the season because obviously there's all this drama, all this dysfunction about who wanted to get the hell out of there. Harden accomplished his goal. But Maxie's just, you know, taking care of his business, lighting everybody who he saw, uh, lighting them up. You know, last night. I don't know. Was that was that his toughest performance? Like his the most he struggled this season, Bon Temps? It might have been. But then, you know, fourth quarter, like confidence isn't shaking. Like he, you know, that was that was his best quarter of the game. You know, he got it rolling there. 
and you you say you you think he's going to be an all star, uh, especially with some of these. I I guess all NBA is positionless now, right? So I guess yep. the guards missing time maybe doesn't matter as much as it would. But I just I wonder if Maxi keeps this up, could he sneak onto an All NBA team? And then, uh, well, the price just went up if he did when you decide after you decided not to extend him before the season. But that's a down the road thing. Um, you talked about you think they're going to be a piece away. Well, the whole point of of getting what you got for Harden was to give you pieces to give you pieces to go get another piece, to give you uh, trade assets. And so mm-hmm. uh, Daryl Morey wiggled out of that one. Um, but there's, you know, there's still, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but, you know, there's still work to do. Yeah, there's definitely here's, work to do. And I here's a, here's, a, here's a note from our guy, Stats Williams. Embiid and Maxi are the second pair of teammates to start a season averaging 25 points, five rebounds, and five assists through seven games. I know it's seven games, but we're in November. So 25, five and five, the other teammate pair that averaged that uh, through the first seven games of a season, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. I was going to guess Steph and KD. That's, that's, oh, you didn't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I didn't. But that that's, okay. it's not, it's, those are high numbers across the board. Not many people are going to do that. You know, and one great thing about Maxi is he, in there are times where he allows the big fella to rest. Because Maxie's going to get buckets where the big fella doesn't have to cross half court. He well, is a one-man one transition uh, opportunity waiting to happen. Well, it's interesting you say that because that's worked out so far in a couple of forms. One is their pace is way up. Nick wants to play faster. And obviously without James Harden, who certainly likes to walk the ball up and pound the ball, from the beginning, Nick Nurse has been like, you got to run. You're super fast. You got to get out in transition. You got to go. You got to go. You got to shoot all the time. And so there is some of that where Joel kind of just hangs out, waits to see what Tyrese says at the other end. He also was out there with the second unit at the start of the fourth quarter. And there were three straight games where they blew teams out. And he just didn't even come back in the game because at the start of the second, at the start of the fourth quarter, they took the lead from 15 to 20 or to 10 to 20, and he didn't have to come back in. And when you're just talking about the load, you're talking about him carrying over the course of the season, having a guy that can go nuclear like Tyrese can next to him and who is a guy that is evolving and growing and has a future going forward as a player. Like, yeah, you said it. There's pressure still there to get guys around Joel to have pieces that are going to fit long term. But this is a guy, if you're Joel Embiid, who signed for the next four years, Tyrese Maxey's only getting better. And that's somebody that you can grow with going forward. And now it's like, all right, we've got our two guys for the next five years in theory, assuming Joel stays, then it's all right. What are the pieces that fit around those guys? How do we maximize what they are? It's a much different thing than, hey, we've got James Harden, we've got Joel Embiid, James has got a year or two left. We got to try to get it done right now before this thing goes off a cliff. It's it's just a totally different outlook around the team. For sure. Well, speaking of Harden, um, you're going to see him on a Friday night with the Clippers coming to town. The Clippers have yet to win on the road this season, McMahon, and just a bad loss for the Clippers on Wednesday night in um, in Brooklyn. The Nets hadn't won at home this year, and regardless of what you think about the Nets, they were missing Cam Johnson, Ben Simmons, who was a game-day scratch with a hip injury. He's having a decent start to the season, but um, didn't play. They were missing Nick Claxton, who's a key defensive player for them. And then Cam Thomas, who's averaging like 30 points a game, uh, sprained his ankle in the first half. So by the second half of the game, they were down four players. The Clippers come in there with like, you know, four future Hall of Famers. Okay, maybe not all in their, their prime, but still. And they 
didn't did they even crack a hundred points? Like their their offense is they did not. It's been two games, but it's, it's um, been two very very ugly games. And like you don't want to rush to judgment after they have four days of practice together and all those sorts of things. But like there were some fit concerns, and the fact that Russ took the most shots in the loss to the Nets, uh, it's not great. Um, you know, I think there's some people in Houston who lived through the the second edition of the uh, Russ Harden partnership that are wondering why they were so eager to have a third because after the end of that season, they both couldn't wait to get the hell out of town. Um, you know, got to let it breathe a little bit. It's And we're not talking even a matter of weeks, but it's probably going to have to give it a couple months, probably going to have to be patient and wait until – at least after Christmas, before you have too strong of an opinion. But I'll say this. One thing is James Harden has to be willing to take catch-and-shoot threes. James Harden has to be willing to do something productive when he's off the ball, which has always been an issue. But, man, like, if you watch them play, there are times where there are wide-open catch-and-shoot threes, and you know what he does? He pump fakes and takes a very difficult three once the defense has been able to close out. Because he wants to get fouled. I don't know what he did. I think he's just trained himself. Like He's just totally trained himself out of doing it. This has been a conversation for the past two or three years in Philly. He just like, he psychs himself out of shooting these open catch and shoot threes because he's not used to catching and shooting anymore. It's all, I mean, McMahon broke the definitive story about his step back three. Like that's what he's, been doing for all this time i broke it I no wrote. i said you wrote i said you oh, wrote it you wrote it sounded like broke to me no no well, i Breaking said no. this guy no, this guy's no, no, taking no, 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 no. 14 step back threes a game i don't know no. if, if i if it sound yeah if it sounded like broke i said wrote the definitive okay. story about it that's jackson heard it the same way for everybody listening i said wrote a couple times uh i'm still getting over a cold but uh but yeah like that's been a huge problem and just real quick two stats from these first two games the starting lineup with Westbrook in it in 30 minutes over two games has been outscored by 22 points per 100 possessions on an 85 offensive rating. And if you say, well, if it's Avika Zubac's fault, you say, what about when the, just the four guys are out there in 43 minutes over two games? They're getting outscored by 11 points per 100 possessions. Now, it's only two games. We'll see what happens. But all it's- the issues we talked about last week uh, are – you know, earlier this week about this having Russell Westbrook in the starting lineup and what that would look like. Early returns are not promising. Put hey, it that way. Arden, he, he's got a six-man-of-the-year award. Maybe it's time to go back to that. That's when things work best with him and Russ. Not holding my breath for it. Um, I'll say this. If they're if they're going to get the offense rolling, uh, their visit to Dallas would be a pretty good opportunity for that. The Mighty Mavs have allowed 72 points in the paint in two of their last three games. There are some uh, some turnstiles on the perimeter of that Dallas defense is all I'm going to say. Well, uh, hasn't Paul George had some great games in his career in Dallas? Or am I just – maybe I'm – I mean, I'm sure he has. Kawhi Leonard sure has, including a game I, I six that would have been elimination. It's one of the great playoff performances, non-finals I've seen. That was tremendous. All right, well, it is early on the Clippers. We'll just see. I just know that before the trade, and it was five games, but before the trade, the lineup of Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Russell Westbrook 
were the most productive efficiency wise three man unit in the league and the mm-hmm. second most productive unit. I had um, somebody from Stats Info tell me this today. The second most productive unit was Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Avicii Zubac. <laughs> the 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 Clippers were having some success offensively, and it's so it's taking a step back. We'll see. Let's not freak out. They get to come home and play games here pretty soon. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Team that's been home for a while and has done very well. And, you know, it's always a team that Bontemps and I get nervous when we talk about because they tend to trick us. That We both had egg on our face. The Minnesota Timberwolves um, are off to just a tremendous start to the season. 5-0 and at home. Among those five wins, a win over the Nuggets, the only loss the Nuggets have had, and they gave mm-hmm. the Celtics their first loss. Um, was it earlier this week or over the weekend? Monday. But, um, Monday. Monday in overtime. And they are the number one defensive team in the league to this point. We are seeing tremendous play from... I love- yeah. Gobert had, what, he have 17 and 21 in their win on Wednesday night. Cat actually uh, made some shots. Cat's been struggling to shoot the ball, which we all know that's one thing he can do. Made some, you know, had a good shooting night uh, the other night against New Orleans. Uh, yeah. Um, the Anthony Edwards has been playing terrifically. Mike Conley. Right, how about this stat? Now, Conley's, um, you know, he's, he, he's their starting point guard. Anthony Edwards handles the ball quite a bit, but he's got, so far this season, he's got 30 assists. Mm-hmm. And one turnover from Mike Conley. It's a 30 to one assisted turnover ratio, according to my math. Great job. Well done. And the, the turnover, by the way, happened on opening night. And I had somebody called up for me. He threw a lob pass and it was just a miscommunication. And the ball went out of bounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, he got credit with the turnover, but like he didn't like throw it. It was just a miscommunication. It wasn't, may not even have been a bad pass. But anyway, that was against the Raptors on opening night. They've won four in a row. Three of those have come by 20 points. Um, it's first time in Minnesota history they've won three of their first seven games by more than 20. Um, they crushed the Pelicans, who were banged up injury-wise um, this other night, but they had a uh, 24 points. They outscored by 24 points in the second quarter of that game. Anthony Edwards has 195 points so far in the season. It's the most three of players' first seven games in the history of the Wolves franchise. Not that it's that decorated, but still. Um, guys, Timberwolves, pretty impressive. Yeah. But yeah, time to pay attention to the Timberwolves. And listen, I'm not sitting here and declaring them contenders, but I'm saying there are some things in place to where it wouldn't be a shock if they emerged as that. Was was talking to some scouts uh, before last night's game, and one of them said about Anthony Edwards that he's the next Michael Jordan. I said, <laughs> I said, well, that's okay. a bit, I said that's a bit of hyperbole. He goes. That's yeah, going to get aggregated. He said, well, uh, context is coming, butt sniffers. I said, yeah, but it ain't too far. Or the guy said, yeah, but it ain't too far off. And his point is, there aren't very many guys who are that elite offensively. This kind of score, a guy who's got, he's got, what's he averaging now? 28, 29 points per game. He's got that kind of potential who are also dominant defenders. Dominant defenders. He's He's coming for Giannis's crown as the best two-way superstar. When you talk about a guy who can light it up like he does offensively, and then it's overtime, game on the line, 
take the challenge and make Jason Tatum, you know, just lock up Jason Tatum the way he does. We've talked about this. They've got three absolute top tier studs on defense. Jaden McDaniels is awesome defensively and one of the best young 3 and D guys in the game. Uh, very quietly shot almost 40% from three last year, shooting like 44 and change right now. Hit some huge ones against the uh, the Celtics. Gobert, I can tell you, has a huge chip on his shoulder in a good way right now. Last year was tough on him and a lot of scrutiny because of what they gave up to get him. Gobert is determined to prove that he continues to be the best defensive player in the world. That's his mind frame. And then um, Anthony Edwards, you know, you guys talked about this all summer with him and Team USA. You talk about a guy who, you know, a, a rocket on the rise. And a guy who it's early for all NBA discussion, all that kind of stuff, but like he's playing at a first team all NBA level right now. And the, you know, the LeBron on off stats that we've talked about, they are just as shocking with, uh, with Anthony Edwards. I, I don't have him right in front of me, but like this, the net rating swing for him is like 39 points. They're plus like 19 and change with him, uh, on the floor and minus, you know, whatever with him off the floor. Um, and a lot of that is because their offense just has collapsed without him off the floor. But again, he's a huge, huge part of them being the best defensive team in the league by far so far this season. Yeah, look, and it's been really good. They've had a really good start. We have to say part of the reason they've been the best defense in the league this season is they have the best opponent three-point percentage so far. Teams are missing a lot of threes. Probably some of that is going to normalize a little bit, but some of that is also when you got Jade McDaniels and Anthony Edwards and Rudy, who, by the way, and you've watched him for a long time, McMahon, mm-hmm. I think he looks a lot healthier to start this year than he did last year. He's definitely got a lot more bounce and is moving around better. Now, his true shooting percentage is about 58. I think it's, I just eyeball, it's around 40th among centers playing at least 15 minutes a game. So that's not ideal from an, from an offensive standpoint, but when he's out there, the defensive rating's under 100, and he's back to looking like the guy he was supposed to be when they got him in the trade. And they've looked like a different team, really, especially since the trade deadline when they did get Mike Conley, who is a perfect fit for what they need and knows how Rudy wants to play and can get him the ball in spots. And the real question going forward, like we talked about his bunch, is just what's going to happen with Carl Towns? And can they find a way to get him going in the way he's capable of offensively, despite his flaws? at the other end of the court because it you know if you have him going with Anthony plus the defense then you're talking about a team that you can make an argument is a top 4 team in the west and is one that has given Denver some problems and obviously is so far the only team that's beaten Denver and Boston this year which is a nice feather to have in their cap so certainly for a Wolves team that has very little in the way of history to hang its hat on from an excitement standpoint totally understand why people are excited but still a lot of questions left to be answered there as this thing as this thing plays out both from in the short term what do you do with Carl and in the long term how are they going to pay for this team which okay you know let's, I, let's, I know most fans don't want to hear about but it's something that's hanging over this whole thing related yeah, questions so this is, by the way what's yes that? also Those true questions related, related questions he said yeah okay so all right I want the Wolves fans to enjoy what's going on I don't want to focus I don't want them to be focused on like Mm-hmm. other stuff and that's so that's for us to do know, which is what we're doing that's for us to do so like I, I i'm not 
we are big believers in Anthony Edwards on this podcast. Uh, I got to know him this summer. I mean, I can go on with platitudes for a while here. We're not trying to be Debbie Downers here, okay? But I do think if you're going to have a discussion about the Wolves, you do have to have a discussion about their finances because when you talk to teams in the league, this is what they bring up. They say, boy, Minnesota looks really good, but how are they going to keep this team together? So they signed um, Jaden McDaniels to a contract extension um, that's going to start uh, next year. That contract extension is um, $131 million. And that left an interesting situation. Five years. years. Also, Um, that contract is going to age extremely well. Yes, it was. I, we, I think most of the league thought they did a good job on that. Mm-hmm. The important thing is the starting number of that salary is $22.5 million. So that means that starting next season on the Timberwolves books, they have um, between Carl Towns, Rudy Gobert, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, and Nas Reed, who was also off to a terrific start. That was a good contract that they did with him over the summer. Um, He is a very valuable guy coming off the bench. He's been terrific for them. Um, Between those five guys, their top five players, they owe owe them $165 million next season. Um, I just will, just to point out, the last time the Minnesota Timberwolves paid the luxury tax was in 2007. And they paid $500,000. So <laughs> dating back for the last 20 years, dating back to 2003-4 year, which is the last time they paid appreciable tax, basically for the last 20 years, they've paid $500,000 in tax. I take that back. They paid $500,000 in 2020. So they've paid a million dollars in the last 20 years. Two years, they've gone $500,000 over the tax. So this is an organization that does not pay the luxury tax historically right. um, that number at 165 million basically will put them just short of the second apron for next year. Uh, they have to fill out their roster. Also, if Anthony Edwards makes all NBA, which he's got an excellent chance oh, to do. I think that's likely. Then he will get a, a, uh, a kicker on that. His, his, his salary right now is at a, 35 million for next year. If he makes all NBA, he has the elevator in his contract. I think it'll kick it over 40 million. So with those five, with those five guys, they might approach the second apron with just those five guys. And of course they've got to have 14. So then there's the thing about, well, who's paying for it? So mm-hmm. the guy who's made the decision on all this paying for all these years is Glenn Taylor, their owner. He bought the team in 90, 94, saved them from being moved. Uh, I think they were going to move to new Orleans. Um, he has been a guy who's been careful about how much they spend. He has sold the team, um, sold the team two years ago to Mark Laurie. Alex Rodriguez is a minority investor. It's not, it's not 50-50. Alex Rodriguez is his partner. Um, I keep seeing, I see people like, oh, Alex Rodriguez is, owns the Wolves. I mean, he owns a piece of the Wolves. He's bought about 40% of the team from Glenn Taylor, but Glenn Taylor is still the principal owner. They owe money. They owe the last piece of um, money to buy out the controlling ownership of the team by the end of the year. And Glenn Taylor gave an interview at the beginning of this regular season, just a couple of weeks ago. And he said, I think that they're going to have to push back the deadline. Um, In other words, he doesn't think they're going to have the money. He thinks that they're going to have to um, trigger some sort of um, 
clause in the contract where they get like 45 or extra days. Um, and he, uh, later on, Lori's company put out a statement saying, no, they think they'll close. But I think what's important is the indication. And I don't know exactly what Lori's finances are, but he didn't, he wasn't able to buy the team in mm -hmm. one fell swoop. He's bought the team in tranches, in sections. And the guy who's selling it, Glenn Taylor, is questioning whether they're even going to have the money come December 30th or whatever it is. But let's not pay attention. Let's not focus. Let's say he does have the money. The mm -hmm. point is, I don't think Mark Laurie is the type of owner who is going to be paying the second apron for year after year after year. Okay? And so, and by the way, we haven't even named the word Mike Conley. Mike Conley, who's been a big part of their improving offensively, since they traded for him, they traded D'Angelo Russell for him in that deal that they did last summer. That is even, even accounted for as I go over their roster. So I just think the question teams have in the league is, as good as this team is, can they keep this team together? And if I was a Wolves fan, I would probably be like, I can't believe you're finally talking about us. <laughs> and and, <it's> and <laughs> you're talking about how we might have to slice off a part. But that is kind of the reality. And that's why you hear Carl Towns' name Yes. Uh, in some trade stuff. But here's the problem. If they have to trade a player to get off of money, they have to trade the player for not money back. No, no but like, hold on. Hold on. With Towns, though, when you're talking about next year's salary, next year's when Towns Supermax kicks in. So if you're going to trade Towns, you probably want to trade him this year when he's making 36 and not next year when right. he's making 49. Right. So you know, and the, the other thing that's complicating factor is that not just the Timberwolves, but any team going forward after this year, because the, the full new second apron rules kick in starting next year, any team, Team X, if they want to make a deal where they um, reduce salary, um, they can't make a deal with a second apron team. Because if a team is in the second apron, they can't make a trade where they take back more money. They also can't make a trade where they cobble pieces together, aggregate pieces together to make the trade. So if there's four or five apron teams next year, second apron teams, it means if you're a team looking to get off money, you really can't do a trade with those five teams. You functionally won't be able to do it or it'll be very hard. You have to get a third team involved or whatever. So after this season, you know, regardless of the Wolves situation, just forget about the Wolves. Any trade where you're you are getting off of money is going to be a little bit harder because there's less teams that you can get off money with. So that's all. That's just that's just one thing that if you're going to talk about the Wolves, I think you have to you have to you have to question. And the reason it's important is because it quite you questions whether or not they have to make a trade that gets off money, as you just said, McMahon, this season, whether they have to do it when it's easier to, to get so off money this season. You say, you say get off money, and I think that doesn't necessarily mean save money now, but save money long-term. That's right. I think, That's I right. Think, listen, like, are they going to have to move? Also, I think you can both make a basketball trade and a financial trade in this case with Carl Anthony Downs. If they moved Cat and got what you might consider to be a – disappointing return for a guy who's in his prime has been an all NBA player, but they get a couple of role players who fit well, it, it might help on all ends. And 
pure hypothetical, but let's say that it, it it's like what the Mavericks gave up to get Kyrie Irving. If they could get you know a a, a six man who can put the ball in the hole and, and help keep the offense afloat, and like a Spencer Dinwiddie, the offense afloat when Ant sits and the offense crumbles, and a plug and play another really good three and D player like a Dorian Finney Smith. I'll be honest with you, man. I think I would pounce on that, maybe even without a pick involved. And the Mavs gave up a 2029 protect, but that's neither here nor there. I'm well, the Wolves can't trade any like picks. That. That's another problem. I'm saying, I'm saying Wolves fans are like, we want picks for Towns. I'm oh, saying, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. The Mavericks gave up. I'm not sure they could get picks for Towns right now. Right. Well, this is the, the right. This is the my, problem. My point is, if you can get two, uh, you know, a couple of really solid role players like that for who are on shorter term deals, might be something that, that the Wolves would need to pounce on. Well, and this is this is why this matters, right? Because the Wolves are in this position where they basically have this year to really figure. They had last year and this year to figure out what their team was going to be before the Anthony Edwards extension kicked in. And before the Jaden McDaniels extension kicked in. And now it's like you've got this super expensive team in a market where they're not going to have the money. Like we just, whatever you want to say about ownership, right? They're not going miles into the second apron on a repeat basis for this team. Maybe if they won the title, they would do it for a year or two, but it's, it's just not a realistic thing to expect. So you have to start to look forward to say, all right, how are this how is this team going to get reoriented to where it can financially make sense and be competitive? And that's where you go to spending 90 or $100 million on a pair of centers in Rudy Gobert and Carl Towns. And I think it might end up being an open question as to which one of them, to Brian's point, has more trade value because you might say Carl is a more talented player with a higher upside and he's younger, but Rudy Gobert's contract's a lot shorter. And when you're talking about taking on $200 million right now, I just don't know how many teams are going to be signing up to say, yep, sign me up for that. Like you said, McMahon, especially if well, you're trying to get some real return for it. And, you might have to accept other, a lot less than you would expect. I think the other part of that conversation has to be what's the best way to position the Wolves to contend very, very soon and you know, for the next few years. And being the number one defense in the league is a is a pretty good place to start. And so you know, when you talk about it's all about how things fit around Anthony Edwards. The good the the good news in this is one, the Wolves are pretty damn good right now. Anthony Edwards is 22 and blossoming into a superstar, very, very obviously. Jay McDaniels is 23 and one of the elite complimentary players in the league. They're going to have those two guys for the foreseeable future. And then it's just about, you know, how things fit around those guys. I know, but the problem is they don't have a lot of flexibility and they may not be able to make the choice to what's best to fit around those guys long-term because they may have to make whatever the trade they can make from a financial standpoint to get them out of the, the situation that they're in, which might not be the most advantageous trade from that point. And that's why when they made that trade, I mean, I thought it was going to go better than it did last year. Certainly, I was incorrect about that. But you had to look at it sort of like what Boston did with Drew Holiday. We've talked about that before. They've got this two-year window. They've got this year and next year. And then the Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown extensions are on the books. And then you got to start making decisions on what is this team going to look like at that point. 
You had Minnesota had last year and this year. Last year certainly was a disappointment from that standpoint. Let's say they make it to the second round this year. They win a, a series in the playoffs for the second time in the history of the franchise. That would be amazing. For that them would be an amazing thing. It would be great for 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 Ant and those guys playing together. That would be an amazing it accomplishment. Would, it would be great. And then they'd be staring at this financial waterfall that they're about to go over, and they would have to figure something out. And it's it's just they've put themselves in a very difficult spot. Where to your point, McBan, the question is going to be. How do you make this team as good as possible as Anthony Edwards is going into his prime? It's going to be a really tricky road to do that because of the the financial straitjacket they're in now. The urine-soaked wet blanket with an assist from Wendy today. Listen, (laughs) just saying. I hate doing it, but it's not responsible to to just have a discussion about this team without talking about it. I leave leave Um, responsibility to you guys. (laughs) Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's one of the things that you've uh, you've excelled at over the course of your career. Um, Well, they did have a great win over the Nuggets. They kind of slapped the Nuggets, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, and 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 when you look at teams in the West, I think the Nuggets are by far the best team in the West. I think the Nuggets are by far the best team in the league. If you took it, look at teams in the West, I think there's two teams that have a chance to give the Nuggets trouble. The Wolves, just because of their length and you know the the defensive stuff we're talking about. Well, didn't and, Bruce Brown like I, it might have been a slap at the yeah. Lakers, but didn't Bruce Brown say that in an interview over the summer that that was their hardest series? He did. Yes, and I've actually talked with other people the Nuggets who agreed with him. Uh, and then, then I think it was also maybe a little bit of a swat at the other team. I was going to say is the Suns. The Suns did win two games against the right. uh, Nuggets last year, and then you know Chris Paul was hurt, um, so essentially swapped out nothing for the last half of that series for. Bradley Beal, which <laughs> I'll say it for you, Bob Tim's. We'll see if he's healthy come playoff time too. Um, but the Suns obviously have the, the the firepower to where if if those guys are if two or three of those guys are hot, they've got a chance to give anybody some major problems. Well, speaking of the Nuggets, they had a setback with Jamal Murray um, uh, injuring his hamstring. It's going to keep him out, you know, um, at least three or so weeks. Interesting. It's really early, but I wonder how that affects his. You know, all star chances. Yeah. They of course look terrific. They got five guys averaging in double figures. Jokic is the last couple games since um um Murray went down. Jokic has had like uh I uh let's see, Stats Williams has the stat here. I gotta look it up. Jokic has had like the most touches in two games he's ever had in a regular season game in his career, and he's just chewed right through that with no problem. Um, uh, Aaron Gordon is playing terrifically. Uh, uh, Kentavious Caldwell Pope is having another uh, great start to the season. Um, you guys, we, we've talked in the past about the potential excitement for Julian Strother, their first round pick. Um, who, what did he have the other night? 25 had, or something? They had like 21 in like 19 minutes. And Oof. my friends, the the little silver lining in the Jamal Murray injury, and obviously you, you hope it doesn't turn into a nagging thing. You hope you can take a few weeks off or however long he needs and then come back and stay healthy the rest of the season. Probably going to have to manage him on back-to-back, so on and so forth. The silver lining is this creates a rotation ripple effect where Michael Malone's got to play this rookie. He's got to give this rookie some chances. And I, I got a feeling that – Julian Strather is going to be in the rotation for a long time to come. This dude is a shooter, and he is a shooter who can shoot it off the move, which is an awfully good thing to be when you're playing with the best passer in the world. 
And you know, there's already there was some like one in particular where Joker, the seven foot, two hundred eighty four pound point guard, is bringing the ball up the floor, and uh, you got uh, Strather down on the on the right wing, maybe even in the corner, and he just kind of gives him a look. Strather pops up, dribble handoff. Joker's you know sets a screen right into a three. Boom. And I'm telling you, man, Strather can he can he's got a little bit of off the dribble stuff too. He's got some floater game and. I think this is I think this is a an all rookie dude who just needed minutes and he's going to get some minutes now. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Okay, trivia question. You heard me say earlier that Jokic has 20 points and at least 20 and 10 in every game to start the season for nine straight games. It's the um it ties the longest streak in NBA history since the merger. So since 76, it's only happened two other times. Two other players have done this nine times to start the season. Here's your hint. They're both power forwards, and they're both in the Hall of Fame. Carl Malone and Charles Barkley. Malone is correct. Barkley is a good guess. Duncan. Not Duncan. Kevin Same Garnett. era. Kevin and this guy also played some Garnett. You got it. Kevin Garnett yeah. and Carl Malone. That was my next guess. That was good. Um, and I just to clean up the thing, he's, he's uh, the last two games, Jokic has had 236 touches. Uh, in the last two games, the most touches in a two-game span by any player this season. Dude, so they're, they're, they're doing, riding him. <laughs> they're riding the big man. And and they're doing this thing. These it's happened a couple of times recently where you look up and second quarter and you know, it's a league pass night. And you're just on the couch. Oh wow, Nuggets are down double figures in the second quarter. And you flip it on and then they just dumb. like they outscored the, the Pelicans 75 45, I think in the second half the other day after being down double figures. I I'm telling you, I, I like their bench, man. I like their bench. I think Strather is a player. Christian Brown is, you know, contributed last year and, and is ready for the big role he's had. I see why they like this Peyton Watson kid so much. He's this, you know, slasher, finisher, kind of great size. six foot eight defender, weak side shot blocker. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson's playing pretty well for him. A guy you know, who real quick, really never got so, it. They beat the they beat the Warriors. Draymond didn't play, but they beat the Warriors on Wednesday night. The Warriors made a little mm-hmm. bit of a run, and it was like a one possession game. I can't remember if it was two points or maybe one point. So last minute, Reggie Jackson's in the game. So they go to to Jokic. Right, ball goes to Jokic's hand. What does he do? Give and go with Reggie Jackson. Yeah, it's really good to have Jamal Murray out there, and they've got all that those reps together. But he's pretty good with just your average Reggie Jackson too. He, hey. You get him the ball. He makes a. He looks one way, passes the other. Next thing you know, Reggie Jackson's got a layup. And so, as awesome man. as Jamal Murray is, I don't think he's. I th- I'm not going to say it definitively. I think you can debate about who the second most important player on that roster is. I, I think Aaron Gordon might be the second most important player on that roster, just because I would. Of, I would agree. Just because of how much he does for them defensively, and and he's a guy who. You can be watching a game and be like, damn, Aaron Gordon was awesome. And you look at the stats and you're like, he had 12 points, six rebounds, a couple assists, a block, and a steal. But like if you're watching, you're like, dude, this guy is everywhere and just making stuff happen. I, I they're they're awfully good, man. They are awfully good. Well, and, that and, was uh, a spectacular trade that they made, Tim Connolly made. Unbelievable. Do you remember what they traded in that? Um, they had RJ Hampton and a future first. And yeah, uh, there may Gary, have been Gary Harris, Gary, Gary Harris, and Gary Harris. 
Yes. Yeah, that was tough because he is a guy who'd been there for a while and was really liked and all that. But dude, home run of a trade. And by the way, you know, Monty Morris was a guy who was there for a while and they really liked him, so on and so forth. But the deal to get KCP that Calvin Booth made was also an awesome trade. Sure was. And by the way, a real sliding doors moment is Jeremy Grant could have stayed in Denver and didn't. And as a result of him not staying, they went and got Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon's just a flat out better player than Jeremy Grant. And he's a perfect fit for that team and is exactly what they need. He can't, and does, he can't really score like him, but he does. That's, other, I said but, he's a better he player, but he, he does the stuff they need. And he doesn't necessarily need to be, he was in Orlando, but he doesn't need to be a focal point offensively. That's Aaron right. Gordon's a guy who for a while we were thinking, Hey, this is like a guy who's got a chance to be the number one option, this, that, and the other, that dude got to Denver and basically said, how can I fit and help make this team a contender? And he has been phenomenal. And you talk about like a sense of how to cut and what Joker needs. Like he's got all that. He's just, and then again, he just does so many things that you aren't just going to be able to look at the box score and see. He's awesome. And then, you know, like we're talking about the, you know, USWB on the, on the Wolves financial situation, obviously, Hey, championship teams get really expensive. One really good way to keep the cost down is to hit on your picks in the 20s and you know at the bottom of the of the first round. Christian Brown, 20, I forgot what, 20 something. Yep. Six man. Peyton Watson, redshirt rookie last year, 30th pick in the draft. He's a he's a solid rotation player for them right now. Julian Strather, number 29 pick in his draft. Looks looks like he's a guy who can uh you know help them right away. Gavin Booth was was handed a really, really, really good team uh, after Tim Connolly left. And, you know, I helped build that with Connolly. But his time as GM, is I mean, he's, he's got a ring to prove. It's been pretty damn good, too. Yeah. I mean, look, they've, they've put themselves certainly in a great position. They've got a chance to have a sustainable team. I will. I do like the individual players in the second unit and these young guys. I will say they do still have a bench problem from like a statistical standpoint when they have those groups out there with like Jamal on the bench, they're scoring nine. It's all again, small sample sizes still, but they got an offensive rating of 92 in 45 minutes. They're getting outscored by six per hundred and Jokic still has this cavernous. They're 20 points better when he's on the court than when he's on the bench per hundred. I have a solution play Strother. And <laughs> I have, I, and I'll tell you how you do it. Once Murray gets back. Who was their backup center? Who was their second unit center during the playoffs last year? It wasn't Thomas Bryant who they gave up whatever. It was collection. Aaron Gordon. It was Aaron Gordon. Aaron now, what I would second unit center. And I would say, I think that's a, I think if, if you're a Denver partisan, I think what you say is exactly that. A lot of this is irrelevant because when you get to the playoffs, you're going to play eight guys. You're going to play Aaron Gordon at backup center. You are going to erase some of these issues because of that. But I also don't think you want to be doing Aaron Gordon at center over 82 games either when you don't have to. But, you know, the fact that they're again getting outscored by 20 points and Jokic is on the court compared to when he's on the bench, Jokic is unbelievable. It is also a bit of a sign that the the bench group, you know, because Michael Malone's always done the starters and then Jamal on the bench. And the Jamal on the bench thing still is a, a little bit of an issue. But all those guys individually, are like, I like them all for all the reasons you said. Like, they're interesting young players that have room to grow and you look at where this team is headed and certainly – They've got a chance to have a real runway as a contending team, in part because of the moves they've made and the chance they have to really be sustainable. Um, all right. Well, before we go, 
we were hard on the Rockets quite a bit the last couple of years. I think we should acknowledge that the Rockets were one of the hottest teams in the league mm-hmm. after wiping the floor with the Lakers on Wednesday night. They have won four games in a row. They have held three consecutive opponents to under 100 points, which is the first time that's happened in uh, four years since March of 19. The free agent signings that Rafael Stone brought in, particularly Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet, are both being productive, although Van Vliet's not shooting the ball well. I don't well, know. Dylan shooting mean. 53% from three is making up for that. So, okay. that'll, so that's, that's balancing out about, across the board. Here's what I want to say about Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is shooting 57% from the floor. He is a 41% career shooter. Last year, he had his worst shooting season of his career. He shot under 40%. He's a career 34% three-point shooter last year. Actually, over the last two years, he shot about 31%. He's red hot shooting the ball. Taking fewer shots than last year, taking, you know, I mean, I don't have his shot quality in front of me, but I assume the fact that he's taking four fewer shots a game and shooting at a higher percentage might indicate that at least in the short term here, he might be taking some better shots. Mm-hmm. Um, real Green quick has- on that, real quick on that, Brian, when Ime Odoka was in Boston, talked a lot about how he came in and like his thing was he was going to hold guys accountable for what they were going to do. Right. And he was publicly on guys pretty hard, but like as that year went along, that turned out to be the case. And most of the time when we've talked about Dylan Brooks, the last couple of years, it's been, he's basically been unchecked to do whatever he wanted to do in these games in Memphis. And as a result would take insane shots. Well, and then so last if you take year, some of the insane shots away. It does yeah. look potentially better. And, and last year when they did say, Hey, you're the fourth or fifth option offensively. We want you taking fewer shots. He was not happy about that. He, he made it clear at exit interviews. He grumbled about that. Uh, it's easier to accept that when it's a new franchise with a big ass contract. Yeah, it's easier to take fewer shots when you've got 85 million on your on your yeah, deal. And, and and it's a new you know it's a new voice. But listen, you're talking about his shooting percentage for the Memphis Grizzlies. How about O Canada? Huh? This dude, all well, listen, he's done, all he's done he, since the World Cup he, is lighted up, baby. He buried a stake in the American heart from three pointers in that game. One yeah, of the yeah. best shooting the whole, performances. The whole tournament he lit it up for Canada. Yeah. Not the whole tournament, but yes, he had several very good games. His his shooting numbers in that tournament were phenomenal. They were well, similar. His shooting numbers in the bronze medal game were were lifetime. They were a yes. career. And a career. And his like obviously he went too far with the bear poking and like some. Did you see his staring thing. last night? I don't know if he he, he does this staring. Um, oh, he does this. Yes. On, on NBA Today today we had the uh, we had the clock out. He at one point he stared at LeBron for seventeen straight seconds, like standing a few feet from him. And then yeah, like in he pregame, stares, he he whispers, utters, he does yeah. all these things. Well, he's shooting it real well. Fellas, they're starting five. 120 minutes, so obviously small sample size. We'll keep saying that. Net rating plus 20.9, 99.6 defensive rating. This team had no veteran leadership for the last few years. And that was you know, phase one, total rebuild, whatever. Fred Van Vliet is, you know, he's calm, he but he's intense. He's like the constant communicator. And then, you know, Dylan Brooks, like if you're around Dylan Brooks, you're going to see a guy who works his ass off and guards his ass off. And I think that's infectious. And then obviously, Ime Udoka, like, you know, he's not going to settle for a team that doesn't put forth effort defensively. And this is like guys like uh, Alperen Shingun and Jalen Green, they need that. 
they need that, you know, that kind of push. And those are two extremely talented young offensive players. And then Jabari Smith Jr., you know, he, he's down to play some defense. So their starting five has been really impressive. Um, the one That's bummer. The, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say the one bummer in the Rocket season, because um, we talked about like, Van Vliet and Brooks, that's floor raisers. They hope to be kind of toughness, culture setter type of guys. But the ceiling for this team, more so long term, but even now, is about the development of their young potential stars. And you're talking about Jalen Green, Alperin Shingun, Jabari Smith Jr., and then Amin Thompson, the fourth overall pick. Unfortunately, we're probably not going to see Amin Thompson for weeks because he he had a grade two ankle sprain. So that's the one bummer has been Thompson, who they've been very happy with uh, suffering an, an ankle sprain. Let's talk real quick about Alperin Shingun, who is, how, who would you compare him to? He's So it's he, a disservice to him to compare him to Joker. That's not Sabonis. like. Sabonis. Sabonis yes, is the comparison. Sabonis is the guy. Does okay. not, Let me just. Does not rebound like Sabonis, but. Yeah, he's that kind of passer. He's that. He's, a, he's yeah. He's a little more. He's a little more naturally gifted offensively, and not as well. He can handle not, the ball more than Sabonis, right? Sabonis yeah, isn't yeah. bringing the ball up the court. He has. He has. There's the point center type of stuff. He's got that kind of ability. He's got that kind of you know touch in the lane. Obviously, he's not a lob threat type of guy, but and then you know he's a guy who basically like you got to stay on him defensively, but. Talk to somebody today, and they said, "Hey, he's listening, he's trying, he's putting forth effort. Uh, like he's never going to be. Look, they've tried to get Brook Lopez. They thought they had Brook Lopez. They tried to get that defensive anchor. He's not that guy. But man, offensively, he's got a chance to be a top five type of center offensively. Averages eighteen points, eight rebounds, seven assists. Shoots almost sixty percent from the field. Tremendous efficiency offensively. And he's just and- a puppy." Just a puppy. Yeah, and look, we should also say they just played the Kings without De'Aaron Fox a couple times in a row at home, smacked them, but did smack them to their credit. Obviously played the Lakers without Anthony Davis and a few other guys, smacked them again to their credit, took care of business at home against an injured team. But over the next few weeks, pretty interesting slate of games. They play the Pelicans Friday night. Pelicans have a bunch of injuries, but then they play Denver, the Clippers, the Lakers again, the Warriors. They got Memphis, then they've got Denver, Dallas, Denver again, and then the Lakers hmm. on December second. Well, so yeah. by December second, we're talking about a month from now. Like the end of that run, if these guys can somewhat keep their heads above water in there and not just get drilled, that's a that's going to be one of the tougher stretches of their schedule. If they make it through that, okay, then maybe you can say, all right, maybe this team can push a little bit higher and maybe be in the mix like Utah was last year where you're talking around the all-star break. Is this a team that's got a chance to maybe push forward for a playing spot? But either way, well, like you said, McMahon, it's all about those young guys getting reps, and hopefully we see Amin Thompson back out there soon again also. And and phase two, as Tillman Fertitta declared this, was about you're, you're, you're being competitive on a night-in-night-out in ba- night night basis. Mm-hmm. You're in the mix for like a play-in spot, which honestly – Coming in the season, I didn't think was was realistic, but we'll see. Uh, the it, it's about creating a culture 
that these young guys can can grow in while competing. And I would say that this has been a very, very encouraging start as far as uh, those things go. And then look, no one in Houston is ever going to say this out loud. It's also about not sending a freaking single digit lottery pick to uh, Oklahoma City for the first pick you owe from the Rust deal, right? That's a top four mm-hmm. protected pick. You don't want it to be fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. <laughs> you want to, you want to, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to pay that type of price uh, right. for a trade that was a disaster. And they didn't. What what did they end up with? What was the pick number? They got the second pick, right? Well, that was Jalen Green. That was Jalen. Oh, that 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 was one where that was uh, a top four protected swap. swap. They still two top four. They owe top four protected picks twenty four and twenty six, and I believe it's a top ten protected swap. In, right, uh, but it also helped that they were able to make that selection. Oh yeah. Instead of I forgot what it would have been. It would have been. Because you know the swaps of the Thunder, it's like you got to. It's like the worst of a thousand and four picks that they have in each draft. <laughs> it's right. never as simple as looking at Oklahoma City's pick and you and yours. Uh, all right. Well, we had a lot of stuff happen in the league in the last couple of days. A lot of basketball. It's all. Uh, it's all cracking. It's uh, good stuff. We got the league going on, and guess what, guys? Friday night's in-season tournament round Ooh, two. Me. Hey, I get to see the debut of the Mavericks funky court. Man, I'm excited for that. I haven't seen one of these courts in person, just on TV. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you to Bontemps. Thank you to McMahon. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, adios, amigos. Adios, amigos.